And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Kevin, it's great to have you here. Good to be with you, Dan. Thanks for having me. You know, we're, uh, what are we, about two weeks now, roughly speaking, into the season of Advent. It's a wonderful time of the year. Um, here at the station, we've been playing Christmas music now for close to two weeks. Um, Advent, what does the season bring to mind as you consider it, Kevin? Well, then I guess the first thing to say about it is it's, um, it's a time of celebration that is observed in churches around the world. Um, some very um, traditional churches like the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, the Episcopal Church, but many Protestant churches, uh, uh, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, and uh, some branches of Reformed and Presbyterian churches, and of course there are other churches that observe it. I think the first thing to say about it is that it's situated in an embrace of the church calendar or the church year, which can make uh, some people a little uneasy, but in our tradition, the, the, the tradition that you and I are in, the, the Reformed tradition, the, the Protestant tradition, uh, we use what's called an evangelical version of the church year. Right? We don't celebrate uh, certain feast days or observances that might be celebrated in other traditions, but we celebrate the things that tie us to the life and the ministry and the death of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So throughout a calendar year, we're remembering some of the main events of Jesus' life and ministry. And the advantage of this is uh, it's not that we are not celebrating the incarnation of our Lord, His Advent. Advent means coming. It has to do with the appearance of Jesus in the flesh. It's not that we don't celebrate that every week. Of course we do. In the same way, we celebrate the resurrection every week, um, but a church might observe Easter. In the same way, we celebrate Pentecost every week because the Spirit is given and enables our worship week to week. Nevertheless, when you adopt a church year, it, it forces you, if you will, through the historical wisdom of the church, to think and reflect and focus on the kinds of things that you might otherwise neglect or gloss over. Um, so it's, it's sort of like saying, you know, that um, you celebrate uh, your wife's birthday or your marriage's anniversary every day, so therefore you don't have to have an anniversary celebration mm-hmm. or a birthday celebration. Um, generally, we would think that that's probably not a good idea. And the same thing's true with Advent. Yes, it's true we celebrate it at all times, but, but it's a season which enables us to particularly reflect and meditate on the things which are central, really the central luminous mystery of the Christian faith is that God has become man. So that's sort of how we situate it. I haven't said anything yet about what it is and what we focus on, but that's, that's why we do it, and that's why the Church has, broadly speaking, historically observed it, and that's the advantage and the wisdom of doing it, because it enables us to remember the central things. Mm-hmm. As we talk about coming, you mentioned Advent means coming, I guess from the Latin. Are there aspects to the coming, uh, various aspects to it? 
Yes, there is, and this is very important to grasp, I think. Um, in the churches which celebrate Advent, many of them use um, what's called the lectionary, or a system of readings. Um, it's a system which takes three years to go through large portions of the Bible. And so there are traditional readings for Advent Year A and Advent Year B and Advent Year C. And what will often strike a person as odd, perhaps, at first, is that when you look at these readings that are, that are read from Holy Scripture during this time of the year, many of them focus on the second coming of Christ mm-hmm. and not the first. And that can be jarring to somebody who might have um, another view of how the Church is to celebrate Christmas. Mm -hmm. So what's important about the coming of Christ is that, of course, he has already come. Um, And we are waiting for the fullness of that coming in his second appearing. So Advent reflection has that tension built into it. It's, It's not simply that we are looking back on Israel's longing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that, that sort of a uh, sentiment. These, these are songs that we sing. But we sing them as the Israel of God and Jesus Christ, who are both celebrating his first appearance and anticipating his second appearance. So mm-hmm. uh, it's very important to understand that when we do this, we, think we can't simply go back to the position in the history of redemption that Israel is in. We are celebrating the one who has come, but we are also waiting for the fullness of that appearing. So, for example, there are texts, um, readings from Romans 13, where, where Paul says, the night is far gone and the day is at, at hand. Let us cast off the deeds of darkness, right? For the day is nigh. Those sorts of things. Mm-hmm many New Testament texts that focus us on the fact that now that Christ has come and light has dawned in the world, the darkness is fading and the day, the eschatological coming day of God's glory is at hand, because that day has commenced, that day has broken into time in Jesus Christ. So one of the great um, theological, if you will, biblical um, advantages of Advent is it drives us deeply into the already, not yet, structure of New Testament revelation. The kingdom has come, but it hasn't come in fullness. The end is at hand, and we are to live in light of it because the end has broken into time in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so Advent has about it a kind of, um, for all of its joy and charm and gladness, it has about it a kind of... uh, Tension. So, at this time of year, we'll read, for example, from a number of sets of texts, many texts from the prophets, Isaiah chapter 2, and Isaiah chapter 11, and Isaiah 35, and Isaiah 61, um, Malachi 3, texts about the coming of the Lord, which, from the perspective of the prophets, was one international cosmic coming of the kingdom, which ushers in everlasting peace. Um, But then as we see Christ come, we realize that that happens in two stages. And so we'll read these texts from the New Testament that speak of uh, the Christ who has come and the fact that he has brought the end and and the 
the coming kingdom into our midst, and therefore we should cast off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so Advent, for all of its joy, is also a penitential or, or season of repentance mm-hmm. to remind us that the Christ who has come has come to bear our judgment and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Seems like a really rich way to celebrate Christmas when you have the Advent season. And I contrast that with the other day I walked into a store, which I don't do that often uh, this time of year, and um, it was cheap, put it that way. You know, I just had the typical Christmas music with no mention of Christ at all, and the hustle and bustle and the materialism. But um, with a, a Christian celebration of Advent, um, it's like it recenters us on what is important. Now, you mentioned um, Jesus basically like two endpoints, like he comes in the flesh, um, the second coming is yet to happen. Um, is there a, a third, like an in-between coming in, in terms of Christ meeting us? Yes, I think we could say that. I, I think we could say that Christ comes to us by the Spirit, mm-hmm. through the Word, and in the sacraments. In that sense, he continually comes. He conti- there's a continual unveiling yeah. or a continual appearing or advent of Christ in the, in the ministry of, of, and life of the Church. But it's important to see that, that that set of comings that we're speaking of here, coming by Word and sacrament by the, in the power of the Spirit, is still situated in this already-not-yet tension between mm-hmm. the first coming and the second coming. Right. It's not a separate third thing. It, it, it's, it's, it's a coming of Christ through the Spirit uh, under the forms of Word and Sacrament for a pilgrim people who have been redeemed out of bondage, out of the house of bondage, and who are in the wilderness as pilgrims sojourning to the land of Canaan in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and so, in that sense, we can speak of other comings. I think in this regard, it's important to keep in mind that one way of putting this, which I have found helpful, is to think of the first and the second coming of Christ not as two discrete, um, detached events separated by a period of time, which is what I think our minds naturally default to, because we're creatures of time, and we live in this linear time and this succession of moments. But the New Testament does not present the two comings that way. It presents the first coming as an inbreaking of the second coming. Mm. It, it's, it's as if there is one coming of Christ with two poles to it. <laughs> so um, this is very hard to grasp, but this is what we mean by already, not yet. That mm-hmm. the, the end is really here. Yeah. The end of all things is at hand because it's broken in. This is why Paul can speak of Christ's resurrection as the first fruits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first fruits of a harvest means the whole rest of the harvest is ready to be reaped. So there's a sense in which the first fruits, Christ's resurrection, means that the general resurrection of the dead at the end of the age is already in progress, mm-hmm. because the first fruits have been reaped from the field. So it's like, I use this example sometimes to try and explain this. Um, the two comings are not like um, you get something on Tuesday, and then you get the rest of it on Friday. 
Uh, like, 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 if you ordered a pizza on Tuesday and then you ordered another pizza on Friday, um, the the illustration would be something like this: that Tuesday's pizza is Friday's pizza in advance. It's actually Friday's pizza breaking into Tuesday, and so this gives to the Christian life its urgency, its sense of standing under the judgment unto salvation that has come in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul can say that Christ having come, the day is at hand, cast off the deeds of darkness, the night is far gone. And so um, that structure, which is deep in the New Testament, is really highlighted vividly in Advent lessons and preaching that follows those lessons. What about the music as a pastor? of an evangelically reformed church. Do you have any um, preferences for for music to uh, highlight and go along with this this season? Well, there's lots of wonderful um, Christmas music, and so I think there's a, you know, we use uh, a well-known hymnal called the Trinity Hymnal, and it's full of a lot of the rich and classical, what we might call Christmas texts. So you have, let's take a text like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Right. That is talking about, you know, coming to, to uh, lonely ex- Israel, which lies in exile here. But nevertheless, if you read the hymn closely, it's also embracing a second coming, like, O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. So often, uh, or the same thing with come thou long expected Jesus, it moves from longing for his birth, to longing for him to raise us up to his glorious throne. Um, Or joy to the world, the Lord has come, moves out into his making his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So the best hymns will hit the note of Israel's longing and Israel's waiting and its fulfillment in the appearance of Christ, but also move on to... Um, the fact that that fulfillment guarantees, it entails, it is deeply interlocked with, it is the very beginning of his second coming. Yeah, it's rich. What about uh, Christians as we go to church during this season to prepare ourselves? What advice do you have on that? I guess there's two things that come to mind here. One is, if we listen afresh to the text that are read. Again, the text from the prophets, the text from the New Testament, and interestingly, some of the gospel lessons during this time of the year, for example, are from Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, what is known as Jesus' Olivet Discourse, which um, is a text about, first, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, but also probably a text which also indicates the second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. So as we listen to these, these texts, we should realize that Advent is about orienting us toward the full appearance of the glorious kingdom of God, and thus we should have a repentant attitude. And I think this is often lost in the sense that mm. people sort of default to a sort of sentimental, warm, comforting, and, and yes, joyful uh, remembrance of Christ's birth. And that is involved, of course. But that birth, and this is the second point, that birth has about it, as does the Christmas story, a kind of lethal, non-sentimental edge. 
there are really dark shadows hanging over that birth of Jesus. A sword is going to pierce his mother's heart, right? He will be a sign of contradiction. Uh, you know, John the Baptist's ministry, passages of which are actually read during the Advent season, you know, speak of an axe being laid to the roots, right? And so, and a judgment, a fiery judgment about to fall. What Jesus is doing in his birth is bringing salvation, bringing life, bringing light, and bringing joy, but bringing it by bringing the final eschatological judgment of God forward and bearing it on his own head and in his own obedience unto death. And so it's important to see that from the beginning there's a sort of political dimension. You see this especially in Luke's Gospel where when he's narrating Jesus' life, it's in the context of Caesar Augustus and censuses and, and Herods and political leaders. He comes into this world, he's opposed, he's rejected by the nation of Israel, he bears judgment so that we can stand in the coming judgment. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole cluster of themes here which are basic to the gospel, basic to the New Testament, and deeply embedded in Christmas, which are often sort of washed away or crusted over with layers of sentimentality. And I think um, what would be helpful to folks is to get, you can do this online, if you just Googled Book of Common Worship or, or Googled, you know, lectionary readings, you could see the readings for Advent. And going through those readings is a, is a very good um, orientation to what the season is about. Mm. Yeah, good point. That's a wise way to prepare ourselves for worship. I think another aspect is to um, simply enjoy the season. I'm not sure about you, but with in our household, it seems like things get extremely busy this time of year, and some of the stuff has almost nothing to do with the coming of Christ or his second coming yet to come. Um, you can lose some focus um, during this time because of all the busyness uh, I I sometimes don't even know how to deal with all the busyness, and I suspect that a lot of people go through that. Yeah, I think that's true. And one thing I would say about that is this is a case where the church calendar helps somewhat because Advent started last Sunday on November 27th. Yeah. So you have four full weeks to, to celebrate it, it's it's not a situation where it sneaks up on you, and on December twenty second <laughs> you start thinking about Christ's incarnation or or birth. The church gives its people through the use of the calendar and the use of the Advent season time yeah. to, if you will, immerse themselves in and inhabit the space of of Advent and and to to sort of revel and delight in in both the mystery and the wonder of God made man, but also the implications of that, that this is not simply one act in a linear sequence of acts. This is the coming of the everlasting kingdom smashing into the darkness and into time. Mm-hmm. So, so the time that Advent takes is a wonderful way to sort of at least help... Um, smooth out some of the busyness so that you have plenty of time to grasp it. And and this year, in particular, people are helped because Christmas Day, the 25th, is a Sunday. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. And so all Christians should 
worship on that day, and that would, at the very least, set the Christmas celebration on Christmas Day in the light of the Lord's appearing. And, you know, that will help us as well. Yeah. In our culture, it seems like uh, Christmas comes, and then the next day, it's almost like it wasn't here. You know, the, the, the secular world, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a business type of thing and selling a lot of things. And then they get all set up for their next sale. <laughs> and um, I think Advent, again, helps center us on what's important. Yes, that, that's right. I, I think, th- and not to, uh, you know, repeat the refrain, but one of the advantages of the church calendar is it says we're moving to a different rhythm of time. Exactly. Right, we're either going to let the secular order tell us what day it is, or we're going to going to let the gospel help inform the way we view time. And so, you know, the world tends to build up to a one-day celebration on December 25th, and then you forget about it on the 26th. But that's not the way the Church reflects on time. The Church's time is a different time. It's, a, it's the time that has broken into the world in Jesus Christ. It's the new time of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's the time of the age to come penetrating into this age. And so we shouldn't just let the powers that be in this age tell us what time it is. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't just let them tell us what season is. So, you know, to put this in a more provocative way, the celebration of the Ascension should be more important to us than the 4th of July or Memorial Day. But unfortunately, it's not always that way. (laughs) And so what happens with the church calendar is you have Sundays after Christmas that continue to expand and elaborate on the theme. They might, there'll be the readings about the wise men coming, or readings from Luke's Gospel about Jesus' presentation in the temple. And then there will be um, the celebration of of Epiphany, you know, that's uh, usually celebrated around January 6th, and Epiphany means unveiling, and it has to do with the wise men coming to Christ and bringing their gifts in accordance with the prophecy of Isaiah 60, for example, that the gospel of, of the Lord would break forth from Israel and, and light would be poured out on the Gentile nations. Um, the same thing that we see fulfilled when, in fact, these Persian wise men come from afar and present their gifts to Christ. That, that, the importance of that is that that's a fulfillment of the prophecy that the Messiah's work would spread to all the nations. And that, of course, situates, for example, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Mm. And then from there, the church year will move out to the baptism of the Lord and to the calling of the church to the Gentiles and on to other things. So there's a sense in which, yes, Christmas passes but its implications and its aftershocks are heard, you know, throughout the, throughout the, the Church's um, public corporate worship mm-hmm. during the course of a year. So the Church is, in, in one sense, saying, we're going to define what the year really means, and we're not going to let shopping days and commercial interests <laughs> and corporate interests be the decisive things, or Hollywood for that matter, to tell us what time it is. Mm. Jesus tells us what time it is. And the time that it is, is now the time of the end, the time of the kingdom, the time of the day which has dawned. Mm. Yeah. I see we're getting close to the end of our uh, discussion today. Um, If someone wants to attend Advent services at the church where you're a pastor, what's the location, what's the time? 
Well, we're at 560 Station Road in Rock Tavern, New York, uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church, and uh, we have Advent services every Sunday. Um, and then, of course, we have a, um, a yearly uh, wonderful service on Christmas Eve, a, a celebration of carols and lessons uh, with uh, special music and and with a sermon as well. And so I would invite all our listeners to that service. And, of course, um, like all churches, we will have uh, our Sabbath, Lord's Day worship the next day, which is, will be the 25th and which mm-hmm. will be Christmas. So uh, in our case, we have the four Sundays of Advent, a Christmas Eve service, and then a Christmas Day service. But as I said, the subsequent Sundays are linked to the great event of Christmas. Mm. I love that. Well, thank you very much. Today we've been talking with Dr. Kevin Sherritt, Senior Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Great to be with you, Dan. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Quick reminder that this broadcast is available as a podcast up on our website. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Sweet hymns of joy In grateful chorus Raise we with all